0: Begin a new study this morning. We're calling it world changers. And I'm happy to tell you as well that Jesus Christ can change anything that needs to be changed in our lives. That's just the God that we serve. He, he has the capacity, the ability to do that. And of all the people in the world that should praise God for what He's able to do, it should be people of faith. People within the context of a church family coming together to celebrate who the Lord is and what He has done. I like how the Apostle Paul wrote it in Ephesians 3 when he said this, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And I love the statement in that verse where he says, glory in the church. And one of the prayers I have for Coastline as our pastor here is, is I'm praying, Lord, would you receive glory within this church family? Would we, would we glorify you and honor you? And, and I have another prayer, and it's that we would emulate or model that which we find in Jesus. Luke was writing in Acts chapter 10, and he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I love the way the Bible just includes in there that Jesus Christ went about doing good. And if we're going to emulate the life of Christ, we're going to go about doing good. And as we do that, we're going to give him glory and honor. And it it all works together in that that way. And so uh, as we think of that, we're going to begin this new study on how the Lord can change us and through us can change that that which is around us. Uh, Sometimes I'm asked why our family came to start the church here. And as I was thinking of this series, I thought of that question and I answer it in a lot of different ways. I give different answers. I hope they're all true. Uh, But I give different answers. Sometimes people watch that and I'll say, well, we believed it to be God's will for our lives. And we did and we do believe it to be God's will. Um, There was a part of me that could have answered that question. Well, I've always wanted to do something that required God's faith to get it done. And as a Christian, I lived many years as a Christian, but I didn't know that there'd ever been an occasion in my life where I'd actually been in a situation where there was no plan B, no backup. We just, we had to rely completely on God. And frankly, there's a part of me as a Christian that just wanted to live the Christian life by faith. And and that was a way in which that question could be answered. Of course, we wanted to help people and we wanted to share the gospel. But you know, there was a sense in which that question could be asked, uh, answered rather. I, I wanted to make a difference with my life. I wanted to see change take place, and I wanted it to be done for the glory of God. And, and kind of with this background in mind, we're going to start this study of a church that really did just what I'm talking about. They followed God's will, they held people, they shared the gospel, but ultimately what happened through them is, is the world was changed. And everything this church did took what was happening in the church at that time to a whole new level. This church did things that n- no, no other Christians had ever seen. The church was started in Jerusalem, and these people from there went out. And we find that these were the first people ever to send out missionaries. Never been done until they did it. They were the first people to share the gospel with non-Jewish people. It, it, it had never been done before. They, they absolutely were innovators. They were creative. They were world Changers. And the church I'm talking about today is a church that was located in a city called Antioch. And I don't know how many history buffs we have in here this morning. We had a couple here today who knew that there were more than one city by the name of Antioch in the world at this time. In fact, at this time, there were 18 cities in the world that had the name of Antioch. And this was the biggest one, the most well known one. It had about 500,000 people that lived there. It was a cosmopolitan area. People from all around the world would come, and, and uh, it, it was a place that really God did a miraculous work, an unexpected work. And, and in short, the story of this church is that they they began uh, uh, to flee from Jerusalem because of persecution, and they went to a place where the gospel was not named, and, and God used them to make a great change. Now, I think this is a message that's needed today for a lot of reasons, but, but one is, uh, as as they are surveying and indexing in America today, the rate of pessimism, it's its in unprecedented territories. Uh, people feel like, I don't know that my kids will be able to do as well as I did. I, I, I feel more afraid of, of the threat of terrorist attacks than I have before. And, and again, regardless of which candidate you'd support for the election coming up this November, uh, it's almost a general agreement across the board that most people feel like these are the uh, best we have, that there's no one better than this, a, a kind of a sense of pessimism in that regard. And this, this is something that Christians aren't immune from because many times as believers we look around and think, oh man, things seem to be drifting and changing. And, and we can kind of get a mindset that, that gets overwhelmed and rather than trying to change the world for the better, we, we just kind of get discouraged in the midst of the world and, and we think, well, maybe I'll just kind of lay low, be cool, don't make any waves. And, and nowhere in the Bible are we taught that that's the way to go. We're we're to seek to change the world for the glory of god And so our prayer and our desire should be to see new ground gained for the lord and that's what we're going to be studying I did not come to acts chapter 11 looking to build a sermon series I was just reading this passage uh, For personal devotions and god did something in my heart and I thought, you know I think i'll share that with our church family and and the more I got in here It's more than a single sermon which became my intention. It became a whole a whole series and so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into this and learning about this church. And today I need to just set the stage. I need to introduce the characters, give the context, give the setting so that we can we can move on. Uh, but many times as we as we study the Bible, we want to know what people did, how they did it. Um, today we really need to take some time to figure out the hearts from which the actions came. And so we're going to try and get in the hearts and minds of these people that God used to change, Their world. And and if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to Acts chapter 11. And I'm going to read a few more verses today than we'll actually be studying. And the reason for that is I kind of wanted to take this week to give you the the context and and the full scope of what we'll be going through. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none. But the Jews only. Now, I have to give a little commentary here. The Bible says that they preach the word to the Jews only. The church was started by Jesus Christ, God the Son. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't some pastor's idea many years ago. It was started by Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says it was started by the shedding of his own blood. So uh, I've never been someone to take the church lightly. It's of great importance. It originates from God. It was started by God, and it's to be lived for the glory of God. And, and the Bible says they were preaching the word to the Jews only. And the reason for that is Jesus Christ was a Jewish man. He started a, a the church And it was uh, comprised entirely of of Jewish people. And it was kind of a Jewish thing in the very beginning. And so they were just saying, that's all that was there. That was their whole context. Now let's go on to verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now again, I'm going to stop here. Grecians, these are non-Jewish people. This verse is the first time in the Bible we find the gospel message extending to the Gentile people in this, in this unique way. Uh, This is one of the most significant verses in all the Bible, because if you're here today and you're a Christian, you could probably trace your spiritual lineage back to the church that we're going to be studying from Antioch, because they were the people that said, you know something? God loves everybody. This message needs to be extended to everybody, and we're grateful that we were part of this original group, but let's start spreading the news to all of the world, and I'm so thankful that verse 20 is in the Bible. In verse 21, the Bible says, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as as Antioch. I love this. In verse 22, we find that the church in Jerusalem was still very new, but they were old enough, they were already entertaining thoughts like this. What are they doing in Antioch? We've never done it that way before. Can you do that? Already there was this mindset of, hey, they're doing something new, therefore there must be something wrong with it, kind of this air of suspicion. And so they dispatched a a guy by the name of Barnabas to go check things out. Barnabas was a great guy. In verse 23, the Bible says, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad. I wonder, what makes you glad? Barnabas said, you know, people are getting saved and growing in the Lord. I'm glad about that. Every time I'm glad about that. And he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For Barnabas, verse 24, for he was a good man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. If you ever wondered where the term Christian came from, there it is. Uh, here they are in Antioch with this very diverse populace, different religions, and, and uh, someone said, you know, we got to call these people something, and, and the name Christian was what came to the surface there. Verse 27 says, and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem and Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth or a drought throughout all the, all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples... Every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. You know, the, the church that was started in Antioch was started by a group of people that we would have called refugees. They were fleeing. And so we've got these refugees leaving with just whatever they can carry in their hands and arms, you know. And and in, in a short amount of time, what did they do? They took an offering. To send it back to their friends in Jerusalem who are going through a hard time. Man, that's a heart of authentic Christianity, uh, is a, is a heart for others. And and uh, so we kind of get the backdrop. Let's go back to verse 21. There's a statement there that we'll build our lesson today around. The Bible says this: the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with him. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about that today. Our Father, we're thankful that uh, you're a God of of great love. We thank you that you inspired the writing of your word, that you preserved it, and that by your spirit you can illuminate our hearts and minds to understand it. And I pray that today would be a day of understanding, that we would learn and grow, and that you would be honored in it all. Uh, I love you, Jesus, and I pray this study would be pleasing to you as you watch and listen in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, you maybe seated. In 1890, my great-grandfather, Percy Chapel, loaded up a covered wagon in Marshall, Kansas, and started west, and he made his way to Denver, Colorado. In Denver, Colorado, he uh, kind of dismantled his, his uh, covered wagon and got all the goods out and loaded everything on a train. And from Denver, he took the train down to a place called Dolores, Colorado, where he once again offloaded, reassembled, got everything put back together, and he continued his, his travel west for about another 25 or so miles, and went to a place called Goodman Point, where he homesteaded 80 acres, cleared the land, got it fit for farming, and dedicated the rest of his life to, to building his legacy right there. He, he handed the farm off to my grandfather, Paul Chapel, who, who spent his career farming and expanded the farm and, and built the farm, and then he handed it off to my uncle, and To this day, uh, it's a place where I feel great connection. It's not my farm. It doesn't belong to me. But when I go back there, I I think of the generations of people that worked. You can kind of see the snow peak, uh, uh, mountaintops back there of the Rocky Mountains. It's just a great area that I love. I love the heritage. I love the legacy. And when I go there, there's something I like to do that may seem strange to you. When I go to the farm, I like to work on the farm. Now, I love being a pastor, and I I don't mind telling you, being a pastor is work. In fact, at times, it's very hard work, but it's kind of sedentary work. A lot of sitting, a lot of reading, a lot of talking, and and this type of stuff. And I enjoy it. I'm not griping. But there's something that happens. It's like a therapeutic quality that kicks in when I get to the farm, and I can get out there and uh, just work and sweat and and just have a good time out there. And and of all the work I do on the farm, there's probably one that brings me more sense of satisfaction than anything else. There was a beetle infestation that came through several years. Go killed all the pine trees and so there's just dead trees everywhere in the forest around the the cabin and i like to get out there and and cut up the the trees and split it into firewood and and uh, there's some of uh, our handy work lisa and i did that one afternoon you know and uh We uh, went out there and had a good time, and I really enjoy doing that, and uh, I I don't know if you can relate to enjoying work like that. Probably if I had to do that for a full-time job for like forever, I would hate it, but just knowing I can do it when I'm back there, uh, it brings a great sense of fulfillment. Sometimes in ministry, you wonder, what did I do today that really got done, that really matters, and when you cut up a tree, you can look back and say, that's what I did today. And uh, So uh, I want to tell you some things you'll need if you ever want to cut a tree up like that. First of all, you're going to need a chainsaw that runs well. And the thing is, chainsaws can drive you crazy because I've never seen a chainsaw that started easily that wanted to continue running throughout the day. And so you're going to need a really good chainsaw. And then on that chainsaw, you're going to need a really sharp chain because if you're fortunate enough to have a chainsaw that runs well but it's got a dull chain, you're going to apply that chainsaw to the tree. And rather than just tearing through that tree, it'll produce a lot of smoke and it won't do much but wear you out. And so you've got to have a good chainsaw, you've got to have a good chain. And then, third, and maybe most importantly, you've got to have a good set of gloves especially if you're a city guy trying to play city slicker, right? You're out in the, in the wilderness and you're the, uh, trying to act like a farmer. you got to have gloves because your hands don't have calluses yet. And, and uh, I don't want to brag or boast today. That's not my goal, but I'm just going to say some things. I hope you don't take this as bragging. But when it comes to gloves, I have the best gloves that you can have, okay? I just, that's just truth I'm saying, so I'm not bragging. I have great gloves. And when I went to the store, I didn't go to the rack where they had the sales uh, on. I didn't want to find out what was the best value or the best bargain. I wanted the best gloves money could buy. I started on the most expensive end of the rack because I knew the importance of quality gloves. And when it comes to gloves, I've got great gloves. Um, I've never yet gone to grab and pull some brush or to throw a log where those gloves were concerned about getting a splinter. I never had an occasion where uh, they were worried about something being too heavy. Uh, they grip that chainsaw really well. Those gloves I have are awesome. They get a lot of work done. And the reality is, as you know, my gloves don't actually do any work at all. They just provide a place for my hand to go so that I, through the glove, can get The work done. And when I was reading this passage of scripture, I thought of of that analogy and that statement we read a few moments ago is is a statement that's actually pretty important. The Bible says of this church in Antioch that the hand of the Lord was with them. You You see, when the world was changed and this miracle was done through this church, they just saw themselves as the vessels. They were the conduit. They were the gloves, if you would, so that the hand of God could come into the situation and do that which was pleasing to him. They simply said, let's cooperate with God. Let's be co-laborers with God. Let's yield our lives to God so that through us, he can do whatever it is he wants to do. And that's when the change came. Now, I believe that most of you here today would say, that's what I want in my life as well. We'd love the ability to look at our family and say, you know, something has been done here in my family that's beyond my ability. It's beyond my capacity. It's something that God has done. We want to look to the lives of friends and, and loved ones, for example, who could honestly testify that their life is better because of our influence. We've brought about a change. We've encouraged them. We've helped them. And I want us to see today what this church, not only what they did, we're going to get to that in time. I want us to see what they believed that led to what they did. As I said, we want to get in their hearts and their minds. Their, their behavior was determined by their belief. The function of their work was preceded by a faith in a great God. And until we know what these people believed, it doesn't matter the process through which we went, uh, they went. We have to understand what was happening in the hearts and minds of these people that preceded the change. And so if you've got your notes nearby today, I want you to look at three simple statements we'll make. First of all, if we want to change the world, we have to believe that God can work in unlikely times. We have to believe that God can work in unlikely times. In our opening verse, in verse 19, the Bible says this, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching... The word to none but the Jews only. That that was the beginning of our text. And and the Bible gives us a couple words to help us understand the the time, this moment. The Bible says that they were scattered and it was because of persecution. God was doing a work in Jerusalem. He was blessing. The church there grew to in excess perhaps of 100,000. And then the persecution came and the scattering was a result of this. This is what we call the great diaspora in world history. The dispersion of these people from Jerusalem. But even to understand the context of that, we've got to go back. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 1. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Again, more context, more background. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church. Now, I'm going to read on, but we got to know again what's happening here. As we read our text verse in verse 19, we read of a man by the name of Stephen who was martyred for his faith. He He was the first Christian killed just for being a Christian. And when we read Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, and the Bible says, consenting unto his death, we're speaking of Stephen. So he was martyred, and at that time there was a great persecution. The word for great here, I love it, in the language of the New Testament, it's mega. This was a mega persecution. This was a big persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So what was happening here is the church in Jerusalem, it had experienced the first martyr and, and, and panic really was coming upon the people of faith, they began to move and so families are grabbing kids and belongings and they're making a trip, a, a trip north from Jerusalem about 300 miles to take them up to Antioch where the church began. And I point the history of this out to you so that you can understand, this was not the type of moment that we would think something really good could happen. This was not the kind of situation where we'd say, man, I don't know what God's fixing to do, but it's going to be awesome. This was really the kind of moment where people were were under a load and fear was ruling the day. But you see, world changers, they know that God can do anything He wants, even in unlikely times. I've watched the news. I've read the paper. I know what's going on in the world. And you know, none of those things should diminish the faith that God's people have in Him. I love the way God says it in Malachi 3 and verse 6. He said this, I'm the Lord. I change not. I love the way the writer of Hebrews said it in Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And the same God who has worked in unlikely times in the past can work in your life today. Let this be an encouragement to you. The timing may not look exactly great, but you need to know you have a great God. Some Christian, uh, Christians will, will look to what God's done in the Bible, or we will look in world history and think of moments in which God has worked, and we'll be encouraged by that. But we conclude, you know, times have changed. Times have just changed. Let me tell you something about times. They've always been changing. They've never been the same. Things have always been changing, and yet God has the ability to transcend all those changes. The times have changed, but God has done amazing things in the most unlikely of times. God can work in your life in any time. There's a second element to their belief that you'll find there in your notes. If we want to be world changers, we have to believe that God can work in unlikely places. So if you're going to do an in-depth study in the Word of God, you've got to understand the timing, then you have to understand the setting, and and the destination here that these people went to of Antioch, it was quite a place. As I said earlier, Antioch was the capital of, of Syria, and it was a city that was filled with people from all around the world. The city of Antioch was called the Queen of the East, and it was an amazing city. It had a main street that was four miles long, it was paved not just with asphalt or concrete as we might imagine, it was paved with marble pavers. On either side of their main street were marble columns. In fact, this was the first city in all of antiquity that had streetlights. It was a big deal. It was the kind of place around the world that people knew of. They would have been familiar with. And being a collection of people from all around the world meant that the religions of the world were represented there. Being the capital of Syria, obviously there were places of Syrian worship. There were places of Roman worship and, and Grecian worship. And there was a huge temple that this city was known for dedicated to Daphne, whose worship required immorality. So this is a place with many cultures, many religions. It was an exceedingly immoral, heathenistic community. And I'm pointing this out to share with you. That if I were looking for a city in which to start a church, I'd probably look to Antioch and say, yeah, not there. I mean if I got in trouble in Jerusalem where there was really only one other religion Why would I go to a place where there's all these different ideas? Surely there's more opportunity to get in trouble here. That was a bad bad place a lot of adversity But you see these Christians believe in the power of the message of salvation And they were convinced that God could work in unlikely places. You see world changers don't see obstacles They see opportunities They look at the darkness in the world and they're just convinced that the light of the gospel can go even further. It's always been strange to me that many people who would call themselves people of faith, people like me, perhaps you'd say, Pastor, I'm a person of faith as well. It's always seemed strange to me that if I were to say, how many of you believe the Bible is God's word? We'd say, amen, I believe that. How many of you believe Acts chapter 11 is true, which I believe that? How many of you believe that God's done a great work in the past and in great churches, that God's done many miracles? We would say, yeah, absolutely. But if we were to say, how many of you believe God can do a great work in your marriage? We'd say, well, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Look what God did there. I just don't know what God can do here. Somehow we exempt ourselves, our families, our communities, our nation, our churches even, from the blessing of God, from, from the miraculous work of, of God. I love what God says in Malachi 1. He said, For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen," saith the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you what God's saying there. He said, anywhere there's a praying and worshiping person of faith, the capacity for change exists. We have to believe that God can work in unlikely places. That leads to the final thought today that we learned from this crew. We, we learned that if we want to be world changers, we have to believe that God can work through unlikely people. So when I'm studying a passage of scripture, I ask a lot of questions of it, and I want to get the questions right out of the Bible. And, and one question I asked of this passage of scriptures, I saw the church in Antioch, I asked myself, who are these people? Who are these? I mean, who does that? Who runs for your life just with whatever belongings you can gather up? Travels 300 miles north to really a a heathen, paganistic city. Uh, There's no safety net there. There, there, there's no social programs awaiting them. They just arrive there and then they just tell people about Jesus, and boom, a world changing church happens. Who were these people? And you would think that the Bible would let us know that, and and it might be interesting for you to know that the book of Acts was written by a man by the name of Luke. Luke was a medical doctor. He also wrote the New Testament book of Luke, and and, and he was notorious. He was so well-known as a writer for including details that many other writers would maybe not have included. If there was something interesting, a nuance, a, a perspective to be added, Luke was the kind of a writer that would include all the details possible. And considering that we know who started almost every other church in the New Testament, it's interesting to me that maybe the most dynamic, world-changing church of them all was a church that we really don't know who it was started by. I can think of some names back in Acts chapter 6 that probably had a hand in it, but but we don't really know exactly who started this church. God's making a point here. He's making a point here, and I believe it's a point that can encourage us. Now, a moment ago, we went back to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. I want you to go back there again. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And I want you to listen to these words as the Bible here says this. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And for this point in our study, the most important words in that verse are the last three words where the Bible says, except the apostles. Look up here. I can tell you who did not start the church in Antioch, the apostles, the ones we would have picked, the ones we would have thought, surely it was them, probably Peter led the way with his courage and his preaching and and, and all the theology that would have accompanied men that spent that kind of time with with Christ. But the Bible makes note of the fact that this world-changing church, we're not exactly sure who the key leader was as it came together, but we know this, it wasn't the group that we would have sought to have lead the way. God is awesome, friends. I want you to know that when God wants to do a work, He's not primarily looking for our resume or our pedigree. When God wants to get a job done, He's looking for gloves that will be sufficiently emptied of self so that they can know the fullness of the Spirit. People that are pliable, that are willing to, to be molded and conformed to the image of Christ so that His will can be accomplished in our lives. Did you know that God could change your corner of the world through you? Listen, remember, it's not the glove, it's the hand that occupies the glove. When God works through you, there's no telling what he can do. I love how Paul said it in Philippians 2. He said, it's God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know what Paul said? God's the hand, you're just the glove. It's God that works in you so that his will can be accomplished. And I really believe that one of our biggest hang-ups that prevents us from making the impact that we could is we just don't really believe what God can do. I believe that's one of our biggest hangups. I think we would profess a faith in a great God, but if you evaluated our faith purely by our actions that require faith, an unbiased jury might find that our faith in practice is a whole lot smaller than our spoken faith. I'm speaking to myself. I'm not accusing anybody today, but but I'm saying this is a church, we think of all that they did. If you go back to the beginning, the genesis of it all, it was because of what they believed about God. And sometimes we look at our situation. We look at the the timing of it all. We look at our limitations and and we think, you know, I I just don't know what could happen here. But those that have changed the world were the people that understood. that They they could be filled with the fullness of God and God could lead them. Listen, Abraham did a great work for God when he was very old. And when Timothy did a great work for God, there were those in his day that would have assessed Timothy and said, let me tell you about Timothy. He's just too young. We know that God is a God who who did a great work through Joseph, who was abused. We think of Moses. He had a stuttering problem. Gideon was filled with fear. Elijah considered suicide. He was so discouraged. Jonah ran from God. Job was sick and bankrupt. We know that Martha was a bit of a busybody, and Zacchaeus was too short, and Paul was fanatical in his religion before coming to know Jesus, and Lazarus was dead, and so what's our excuse? The church in Antioch changed the world because they believed in a God who could do anything at any time, who could do anything at any place, and a God who could do anything through anyone who would yield themselves to Him. The holiday season is a great time of year. I, I love it. I mean, it's on the day after Thanksgiving. We're all set up for the Christmas season, and yet it's a very, very busy time for us, very busy. Uh, uh, your, your Christmas Eve traditions are are varied, I'm sure. Ours is to pretty much be at church all through the night multiple times now and we love it but when christmas is done we kind of look forward to getting away as a family just relaxing and last year we thought you know to just kind of get away and decompress after the busyness of it all we'll go to the family farm and uh, and so the the christmas day prior to our departure i i got uh, the three ladies in my life a, a gift and you ever given a gift and it was kind of more for you than the one you gave it to you know what I'm talking about? I kind of did that. I was guilty of that. It's, it's kind of like, guys, don't get your wife a vacuum for Christmas, okay? That's just not nice, all right? So I want you to see this picture. You have that there? All right, there it is. Uh, three ladies in my life, Jessica, Julie, my daughters, and my wife, Lisa, and, and uh, I got them all work gloves, and uh, I thought, we're going to the farm. I want to get some wood cut up, and they're going to need gloves to get that done, and you know, I was looking at this picture, and I thought, I bet a psychiatrist could have a field day with this. Here's Julie. She's all about hang loose, man, and, Jessica, I don't know what she's doing. I'm going to get you or something. I don't, I don't know. Kind of makes me nervous looking at it. And then there's Lisa, and she's thinking, I'll punch you in the throat, buddy. That's, that's what she's thinking. But uh, work gloves. You know what I learned about those work gloves? That you could have really good work gloves and still get nothing done. Now, Lisa did good. We're partners out there. We enjoy that work. And I think the girls helped for about eight minutes, I think. But their gloves still look pretty much new. Like nowhere on them. Do do you think it could be that some of the reasons we don't see the change we want to see in our lives is because we've got some pretty awesome gloves but we just haven't done the work? Do you think it could be that the capacity for the change to take place, that it's there but we've just not quite given the hand of God permission to move into our lives? Is it possible that there's a reason for the lack of change? Lack of progress? I just want you to imagine with me as we close today. I want you to imagine with me what our lives and even our world could look like if we said, God, you've made me. And apart from you, I have nothing. I am nothing. God, I have no capacity. I have no resources. God, I'm just... I'm just like an empty glove before you, but because you love me, God, you said that you'd You'd come into my life and through me do that which I could never do. And so, God, I I come to you as a humble person just seeking for the fullness of the Spirit so that, God, your hand through me could do what needs to be done. And, God, I'm not going to come before you and say, Would you change everybody around me because they're all bugging me? No, God, I'm going to say, Would you start in me? Would you change me? I'm talking about the person who would come and say, God, would you change my family by changing me? God, would you make my community a better place because I'm in it, God, would you bless my church family through me? I'm talking about people that would understand that a great and miraculous change takes place when we come into the presence of God and see ourselves as a glove in need of the hand of God for the work to commence. Wouldn't it be great today if we just said, God, I understand you could do anything, anytime, anywhere, and with anyone. If we prayed, God, God, if your hands are moving, I pray that it would be evidence because my life is moving, relying on God. I think it'd be wonderful if we prayed today, Lord, fill me like a glove. Would y'all be so kind as to join me in standing? Why don't we have a prayer together? Our oh, Father, I thank you today that you are a great God. Lord, we're living in a day and an age and a place where change is needed everywhere we turn. God, as I've said, I pray that that change would begin within us. I pray that we wouldn't be blame finders and and, and look around for all the problems, Lord. I I pray that it would begin as we look within. And and I pray that you change us. And God, as you do your work and your people, I pray that as salt and light in this place that we would... We would add value to our community, to our neighborhoods. Lord, use us for your glory. God, I pray that when we get to the other end of the journey of our lives, that we wouldn't be like a pair of gloves that's hardly used, no holes in it. I, I, I pray, God, that we would be work gloves that have seen a lot of chainsaws, that have pulled a lot of trees and brush. God, I pray that in that sense we would be used. Used in the right way for you. Help us, dear God. With our heads still bowed, I wonder how many of you would say, Pastor, I'm right there with you. I see the need for change in me and others, in our in our time and space. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I can really see the value of just extending my life to God as a as a channel, as a conduit, as gloves through which he could, he could work. I wonder how many today would say, Pastor, I was with you in the midst of that study and not only do I see the need for change in areas of my life, I can see the value of offering my life to God so that through me he can do what needs to happen. Are there those like that by the testimony? Just a quickly raised hand. Pastor, or something for me in that study today. Yeah, thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Now listen, maybe you're here today and in and, and your heart you're not really sure where you are in terms of a relationship with God. And, and I want to be very clear that we can't work our way or earn our way into a relationship with God. It's, it's not by working that, that we get that relationship with God. And if, maybe if you were asked, and this is the clearest, most direct way I know to ask it, if someone asked you, if you were to die today, do you know you'd spend forever in heaven with God? Maybe in your heart you think, you know, I'm not sure about that. I I might, I might not. But the great news is that God tells us in His Word that we can know. In the New Testament book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, the Bible says that we can know that we have eternal life. And maybe you're here today you say, you know, I'm just not sure about that connection with God. I, I don't know where I'm at in terms of a relationship with God. Well, many hands have been raised today already and I didn't point anyone out or embarrass anyone, but I'm going to be thinking of hands as I'm praying. And maybe you're here today and you'd, you'd say, that's kind of how my heart's being stirred today. I'm just not sure I have that, that relationship with God. And I don't mind you thinking of me in prayer, Pastor. Are there those who be willing, just to lift a hand real quick, say, Pastor, that's where I'm at today. I'm just not sure I have that relationship with God. You could think of me in prayer. Maybe there are other spiritual decisions that need to be made. You've been saved, perhaps, but not yet follow the Lord in believers baptism I'd encourage you to do that that's what Jesus said he would have people of faith to do to identify with him maybe God's putting it on your heart to unite with the coastline family by way of membership let's follow the Lord in that regard in that way what we're going to do today in a moment is Ryan's going to sing and as he does that's our time to worship God in prayer it's our time to go to God and listen just go ahead and thank him that he's God that could do anything anytime any place through anyone And then let him know that change is needed in in your life. Let him know the areas and ask him to begin that change in you. If you'd like to pray at the front, you certainly may do that. That's what the front of a church is for. It's a place of worship. If you want someone to pray with you, I'll be in the front here with others. Again, if there's a spiritual decision in need of being made, I'd I'd be happy to talk with you. I'll be here in the front as we have this time of prayer. So as Ryan begins to sing, let's, let's take this as a time to talk.